You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. I invite you this morning. We're continuing a journey through a letter that was written uh, in the first century by the Apostle Paul. And it was written to a church in the city of Ephesus. We've been doing this for a couple weeks. Last week we were actually in chapter 2. And we're going back to chapter 1. We went to chapter 2 because we celebrated baptism last week and it just fit. So we're, we're going in reverse now and going back to chapter 1. And what we're looking at this morning is the last part of chapter 1. And it's a prayer that Paul prays. I'm a a father, and that is one of my favorite things to be. One of the things that I do every day as a father is I pray for my children. I pray lots of things. The more I pray, the more I realize that there are a lot of things that I can do for my children. But the most important ones, I can't actually do. Only God can. And so, I I talk to him about. Let me ask the question in a different way for those of you who are parents. For those of you who are parents, if you could ask God for, for something for your children, anything, and you were absolutely sure that they would get it. What would you ask? That's that's a really good question. Well, that's what these verses in the end of chapter 1 are about. They're written by the Apostle Paul. He is writing a letter. He was an apostle, but he was also a pastor. And this church was the one that he spent the longest time at If you read the letter, he obviously has deep affection for the people that he's writing to. And he writes to them and he tells them what he's praying for them. But it's maybe not what would first come to your mind. He's reminding them in this letter that the most important thing is to know God. And that humanly, that's impossible. There's nothing humanly that you can do to be in a relationship with God. So it's only God, this is how he says it in verse 7 of chapter 1. He says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So the only way into this relationship, he says, is him. And and this is what this whole letter is about. He's trying to remind them of this unbelievable mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery is those who have come to Christ, Christ actually comes to live in them, and, and they live in him. It's what the scriptures call being united with Christ. I'm going to say it again. If you ask me to explain it to you, I can't. I can tell you what it says, but the fact that you can't explain a mystery doesn't mean it's not true. It just means our minds can't grab a hold of it. So he's talking about that, 
And one of the questions that comes up is, okay, so, so Christ has come to live in me. How do I know that that actually happened? One of the testimonies last week, Bethany gave a, asked that question. Like, okay, you say, put your faith in Christ, and he's going to come live in you. But how do you know that that actually happened? And she talked about one day, like, hearing the Spirit of God tell her something. And, Wait a minute. Where did that come from? He lives in me. So that is what he is praying for these people. So he, the, the church... As in Ephesus, they're not facing really any persecution. They're not, he's not praying about that. He, he seems to have two concerns. The first concern that he has is he doesn't want them to be intimidated. He wants them to stand and believe what they say they believe. Why would they be intimidated? Well, they'd be intimidated because... This church was not like this huge church. It was not a place where people were clapping for everybody that followed Jesus. It's a little bit like the United States of America, actually. If you say that you believe in God in this country, you know what? That's okay. It only causes problems if you actually start acting like you believe it. Like if you start doing things that God said, well, wait a minute, you're throwing this whole thing off. That can be intimidating. And so Paul is writing to them, don't be intimidated by that. Don't, 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 don't bend because the people around you don't get this. He also is concerned that they might get distracted. Ephesus was a pretty wealthy place. And, and it's easy to get distracted about what, what's important. And so his prayer is that they would not lose sight. So, Paul knows this church, he loves this church, and he's praying for them. And this prayer, you just kind of get a window into his heart. So he begins the prayer, and the first thing he does is he says, thank you to God. Why is he telling them what he said to God? Because he wants them to know how much he loves them and how grateful he is. And he says, I am so thankful. Every time I pray for you guys, I just thank God. And the reason I thank God is because of your faith and because of the love that you have for God's people. Both of those things evidence that you, you're getting this. That's great. Oh, thank God. I, I get that. I'm a pastor. This is, I, I'm getting older now. It's none of your business how old I am, but uh, I'm older than a lot of you. And, and so I've had the privilege of being a pastor for a number of years, like four different churches. And as a pastor, there's nothing that delights your heart more than when you see somebody grab onto this. And, and you begin to see the evidence of the life of God in somebody. This weekend, we had friends that um, were part of the first church that I ever was a pastor in in Pennsylvania, and they came to spend the weekend with us. They got to be here in the first service. When I was their pastor, I mean, I was younger than Josiah. I was just a kid. I didn't know what I was doing. But they were some of the people that we walked alongside, that we did faith with, 
And every time I'm with them, I'm just so blessed by their faith and their love for God and for people. And, and so Paul is saying to these people, I just love when I pray for you. At prayer meeting the other night, we were talking about this prayer, and I asked everybody at prayer meeting, I said, you know, if tonight we could pray about Hope Community Church, and you could ask God for anything you wanted for Hope Church, what would you ask for? Man, I got a whole list. I could think of all kinds of stuff. It'd be great to have a couple million dollars, just you know, wipe out some debt. Somebody said, hey, it'd be so great to to repave the road. Maybe we can find some oil wells. And, I mean, just... Or maybe we just pray that the impact of this church would just spread like fire. Just pray for the day when we can't fit everybody in this place, people coming to worship God. All those things are really great to pray for. I have a buddy who's a pastor in Lexington. He started out in his ministry in Canada, and he and his wife were in this small church in Canada, and they, the building they had was, they had to build. And so they, they had like this $300,000 debt, and it just was so heavy. So one day his wife is coming into the church, and she's just feeling the weight of this thing, and she kneels down in the sidewalk in front of the church, and she just wants to ask God. But she's thinking... 300,000 is so much. God, could you just give us like $200,000? We just need you. The next week, somebody wrote a check for $200,000. And her husband said, what were you thinking? Why didn't you pray for three? (laughs) Those are not bad things to ask for. and, And God often graces us. But that's not what Paul was asking for. Listen to his words. This is verse 17. He says this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What's he asking? He's asking that they would know God better. Not because he's a pastor, but because he knows that that's the only thing that really matters. And that's what he's longing for for them. How would that happen? Well, let me read the the text to you from Ephesians chapter 1, you'll, you'll find it on the screen. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, actually when Paul wrote it, he didn't have like chapters, it was just a letter. But what we have as chapter 1 is actually only two sentences. Either Paul was not great at grammar, or he didn't want to waste the ink on periods, but he just wrote these really long sentences. So this prayer is actually the second sentence in chapter 1. And it's a prayer. Let me read it to you. It says this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and he appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What is he asking? He's asking that they would know God better. How would that happen? Well, he asked God for two things. This is what he asked for first. Verse 17, he says, I pray that you will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. How do people know God. And he's not talking here about like something you learn in a classroom. He's talking about a relational knowing. How does that happen? We said there's two things that make that happen. The first, he says, is a spirit of wisdom. What is wisdom? The Bible talks a lot about wisdom, and wisdom is not the same as knowledge. Knowledge is an intellectual seizing of something. Wisdom is the ability to discern what's true and right and to embrace it. So what's the difference? All of us in this room could have the knowledge that if you eat a couple pounds of sugar a week, it's not going to be good for your health. Wisdom is actually not eating a couple pounds of sugar a week. That's very different. So you can know the things about God. You can know what God says. But wisdom is actually making that like a non-negotiable. And, and he's, so he prays for them to have a spirit of wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to live well with God and with other people. It's, it's actually discerning what has value? What you value determines everything. And if you value the wrong thing, you'll do the wrong thing. Wisdom is knowing who and what has value and embracing it. So if you're going to know God better, it's impossible without wisdom. It's as you embrace the wisdom of God that you begin to get to know Him. So, he, he prays that they will have a spirit of wisdom. How do you get wisdom? You get wisdom in God's Word. God's Word is not magic. It, it's, it's just ink written on paper. It's just a book. But what's written was spoken by him. And it has power because 
He said it. And so when you take it and you do it, he says, your eyes will begin to open and you will know him. The second thing that he prays for is a spirit of revelation. A spirit of revelation is the the fact that God reveals himself to us. He shows himself to us. He shows himself to us in his word, but sometimes he just, he, he says something to us or he communicates with us or you, you just feel his presence. That's part of getting to know him. And he prays that that will happen, that they'll have a spirit of revelation. You need both of those to know God. So let me try to explain this to you the best I can. My wife's father, uh, he's a medical person, and so he is always helping us. You know, this is what, how you should eat this. This is what you do for this. And, and he's always finding some new thing. So he wrote a while back, Ellen has lots of pain in her joints, and so he found this thing, and it's, it, it kind of looks like this. It's called an acupen. And what it is, is it's acupuncture, but it's not actual needles. It's this pen powered by a battery, and it has a head on it. And so when you use it, it feel, it's an electrical shock, but it feels like a needle. So he got one for Ellen and sent it to us, and I'm more curious than she is, so I got it out. I had to figure out how this thing works. So I put the batteries in and, okay. So it tells you, you turn it on and then you kind of run it along your joint and it's actually like, almost like getting acupuncture. So I did it. And I didn't really feel anything. So I said to myself, self, I'm not really sure this works. I'm not feeling anything. I'm going to keep going. I got about halfway across my knuckle and all of a sudden, pew, felt like a needle went in. Wow. Start. So, then it says, if you run it on your muscle, there are muscle pathways that can also like release muscle stress. So I put it on one of the pathways up here and I started. And I got about right there and all of a sudden, my muscle literally started going, Pow. I mean, you could see it going, wow. Hey, this thing works. I'm feeling that. We need both of those things if we're going to know God. We need to trust what the scriptures reveal to us about Him. And we need to trust it so much that we actually do it. That's wisdom. And as you do that, you will know him. But he also graces us sometimes with his presence. We wish that it would be like every day. But actually, that probably wouldn't help us. What, what we need to know, he reveals to us. And so Paul is praying that they will have a spirit of revelation, that the knowledge that they have of him will be heart knowledge. That's the first thing. The second thing he prays in verse 18 is he says, open the eyes of their hearts to perceive. That's strange. 
is, for the most part, hearts don't have eyes. But he's not actually talking about a physical thing. He's talking about our soul. Our us that communicates with God. And he's, he's praying that, that our hearts will actually see and perceive what already is. Our problem is not changing something. Our problem is knowing what already is. And so he says, open the eyes of their hearts so that they can perceive. I long for them to perceive the reality that God is the sovereign Lord, that He lives in us, that He's eternal. So He prays and He says, God, open the eyes of their hearts that they might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. You may not perceive this, but that doesn't make it untrue. Hope in the Bible is not like, you know, I can't hope this. No, no. It's absolutely sure. And he wants these folks to perceive it. So what is the hope that we're supposed to perceive? Well, the first thing he talks about, the word the scripture uses is atonement. Atonement is when your stuff, your sin is covered. It's, it's taken care of. That gives hope. He says in verse 7 and 8, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So he says, it's covered. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, that he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm. He's still talking about atonement. Now, when you read that, you just go, oh, wow. Jesus is sitting in heaven at God's right hand. The people in the first century that read this, they got the picture. People sit down when something's finished. Jesus is sitting down because the atonement is done. There's nothing left to do. When Jesus died, he cried out, it is finished. The work of atonement is done. The world doesn't use the word atonement very much. But about 10 years ago, a guy by the name of Ian McCowan wrote uh, one of the New York Times bestsellers. And the, the title of the book, it was a novel, it was called Atonement. Interesting because he's an atheist. But this notion of atonement runs deep in all of us. So here's the story that he wrote. It's a novel, and it's about a young girl in England just before World War II, during World War II. And this young girl was an aspiring novelist. So it's a novelist writing a story about a novelist who is writing a story about herself. So a novelist writing a story about a novelist about a novelist. But it's really important in the story. The young girl, um, Brienne, she is in a wealthy English family. They have servants and stuff. This is before World War II. So one day, this young girl witnesses this vivid romantic encounter between her older sister and a young man that was on the staff at her house. 
She's a young girl. She doesn't really understand what she's seeing. Then later the same day, she is tragically witness to, to a rape. So in her young mind, she doesn't understand anything that she's just seen, and it all gets mixed up. And when the story comes out, ends up indicting her sister and her friend. So her sister's friend ends up in prison, and she is estranged from her sister. But she doesn't understand all this at that time in her life. The story jumps ahead five years. Brianne now realizes what has happened and what she has done. But there's no way back. She, she can't make it right. There, there's, there's nothing to be done. So she feels the terrible weight of what she's done. And so she decides, I, I need to find some way to pay for this. So she, she joins the service. Uh, the World War, World War II had broken out, and she spends the next years caring for wounded soldiers, just trying to give penance for what she did. Now the story jumps ahead again. 59 years later, where does it land? Well, Brienne is old now, and she's dying. She's still estranged from her sister. She's now become a famous writer, and she is writing her 21st novel. The story in the novel is actually her own story, and it's the tragic story of her mistakes and the consequences, so she writes it as a story. This is the conclusion of her words, and I want you to hear this. She says, The problem with these 59 years has been this. How can a novelist achieve atonement when, with her absolute power of deciding outcomes, she also has become God? There's no one. There's no entity or higher form that she can appeal to to be reconciled with or that can forgive her. In her imagination, she has set the limits and the terms. There's no atonement for God There's no atonement for novelists, even if they're atheists. It was always an impossible task, and that was precisely the point. The attempt was all you had. Hear what she's saying? She's longing for somebody to lift the heavy burden on her soul. But if there is no God, all you got this is an attempt. But Paul says, no, no, no. He paid for it and he is seated at the right hand of God. It's finished. So the hope is not a kind of, it's a finished. And he says, I pray that you'd open the eyes of their heart to see the hope that is theirs. But the hope is not just for the stuff behind us. It's also for the stuff in front of us. He says that Jesus has conquered death. So there is nothing that can keep him from raising us to be with him. Because actually we are already united with him. And he already rose from the dead. They already killed him once. It didn't work. So he is alive eternally. And he says, the hope that we have 
is already sealed. So what he's praying for is not that something will change. He's praying that we would actually see what already is. The second thing he prays that their eyes will see is the power that they have. It says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that has come to live in you. That power is not to do magic with. That power is to change you. And, and the promise, he says, his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. So no matter what happens, there is nothing that can keep that happening someday. Nothing. There's no government, there's no bank, there's no army that can separate us because the power that raised Jesus from the dead already lives in us. It lives in us to teach us it lives in us to change us. It lives in us to teach us to love His power. The last thing in closing, in verse 20, He says, Open the eyes of their hearts so that they can see place. I don't know about you, but there's times that there's something inside me that just longs to go home but you're not really sure how to get there. Like, I, I, I want to go home. It's in the heart of all of us because we're not home yet. And, and the, the hope is not that there is going to be a home. There already is one. And he says in verse 20 that, that we are already with him. We are seated with him at the right hand of God. Our home is already, we're, we're there, but we're not there yet. But we're coming. And so he says, open the eyes of their heart so that they can see. I invite Christy and the team to come. We're going to close. But let me put this last thought to you. A.W. Tozer says, that all of us actually have as much of God as we want. That if you don't have more of God, it's probably because you don't really want it. Whatever you want, He will give you. And He's, he's praying, God, open the eyes of their hearts so that they can see that this is life. This is what this is. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song that is just an invitation. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come and teach us to know you better. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for forgiveness that, that our sins have been atoned for, that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is already alive in us. Father, give us eyes to not only see and perceive, 
our hearts to grab onto it. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.